So we are sort of midway through now our series in uh, the, going through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, and we've, we've, we've uh, entitled our, our, our series The Pursuit of Joy because it's pretty clear as you go through that Paul is someone who, who is full of joy. And that's even more amazing, uh, not only because it's rare, but it's even more amazing when we find out that he is uh, imprisoned, probably in Rome, and yet he's writing this, this great letter to the Philippian church with so much love and so much joy. And so we're seeing this as we go through every week. But things sort of uh, take a bit of a, a turn, and he sort of focuses again on a slightly different subject. And what, what we see here is Paul giving the believers in Philippi, giving the church um, what we call uh, a way to impact their city. Uh, in fact, he gives two keys to impacting the city of Philippi with the good news of Jesus. And this is particularly important for us as, as a church, particularly starting off um, as we are fairly early on in our life at Foundation Church. We, we obviously want to impact the city of Belfast with the good news of Jesus. Uh, we want to see him transform lives and families and roads and areas and communities and, and all sorts of realms of, of human life. And so this particular passage is very relevant for us. Uh, maybe you are looking for a similar impact uh, of the gospel in your own family. Um, maybe you want and you are praying for Jesus to impact your own family with the good news of the gospel. Um, whatever space you occupy during the week, whether it's at work or other activities, maybe again you just would love to see the impact, the, the, the name of Jesus impacting those areas and so Paul gives us these two keys anyway to impacting our city whether that's in the sort of in, in family terms or you know in, in work or whatever it's all part of the bigger picture of of impacting our city and so uh, we'll see those as we go through and um, it's kind of roughly uh, divided up from verses 12 and 13 we see uh, the first key to impacting our city number one is gospel transformation and the second key he gives us to impacting our city uh, through verses 14 to the end is gospel integration. So two keys to impacting our city, gospel transformation and gospel integration. Um, I, I, I just think sometimes when it comes to church ministry and uh, maybe even starting a church like this, as a church plant, uh, that we can rush very quickly to the doing you know, getting the activities done, partnering with mission agencies, you know, uh, doing, doing all that kind of stuff, good works. And, and, and that's nothing wrong with that. It's brilliant, uh, great. And that's one fantastic way that we can impact our city, and we'll come on to that later on. But sometimes the temptation is to rush straight to that. But according to Paul, before we get to the whole, uh, you know, living out our faith kind, kind of thing, um, there, is, there is a certain transformation that has to happen first, a gospel transformation. Look down at verse 12. He says to the beloved, you know, that's how he feels about the church. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out, he says, the, the results of your salvation. The, the, the Greek behind that is realize in practice your salvation. So he's calling the church in this verse here, in this particular passage, to live out what they already have, what they already are. It's 
pretty obvious when you read uh, the letter from start to finish <clears throat> and the bits we've covered so far, that Paul already considers the, 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 the people he's speaking to as possessing salvation. They've already been saved, we could say. Uh, he calls them saints. He addresses them as saints uh, in chapter 1, verse 1. He, he says they are partakers of grace in chapter 1, verse 7. He says they have been recipients uh, of the effects of the good news. We saw that last week in chapter 2, verses, verse 1, the benefits of Christ. So he's quite convinced that these are people who have received salvation already. They've already, already understood the gospel. And the gospel is this. They've already understood that despite their sinful rebellion and their rejection of God, in his love and in his mercy, God sent his son, sent him as a human, or to, to become, take on human flesh, sent him as a servant. Jesus humbled himself. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus died for them and for their sin. We just confessed that in the creed, sung it in the song. And God raised him up on the third day. They believe this already. They already understand that. They already trust in Christ. On his, his work applied to them. And as a result, they are, as he goes on to describe, children of God. And so Paul says, before you get busy in your city, before you start taking it out there, so to speak, there is a transformation that already has to happen. And, and, and it's already begun. So continue it. Work out your salvation, he says. Behave because you are. See, Marion's just stepped out of the room uh, at the moment, but um, on the 14th of July, 2017, we are coming 10 years married. And um, on, therefore, on the 14th of July, 2007, we, we got married on a sunny July afternoon on a Saturday in Balagowan. At that moment when we exchanged our vows and were declared husband and wife in the presence of, of many people. Um, we were at that moment fully married, and we signed the register, you know, to prove it. Fully married. But yet, I think she would probably agree with me, and I certainly, this is from, from my perspective, I feel more married now than I was 10 years ago. And in reality, uh, over the last 10 years, our marriage has, has deepened. It, is, it has stretched us both. It has shaped us both. And that becomes more evident as time goes on. We, we know each other better now than we did 10 years ago, that's for sure. We've been through highs and lows, and yet, as a result, our, our marriage is richer now than it, and deeper now than it was in 2007. One commentator said this, a marriage once possessed is possessed in full, but the merits but merits a lifetime sorry, of exploration, of enjoyment, of development and discovery. And so Paul says to the church, in the same way, you're already saved, you already have salvation, so continue to work it out. And when you work it out, that will lead to gospel transformation, which is the first key to impacting your city. But it's important uh, to labour this point that what they are doing, their work, is not the grounds of gospel transformation. In fact, the grounds, you know, that is the, the basics of gospel transformation is not our work at all, but it's God's work in us. Because look in verse 13, 4 it begins. Logically connecting those two bits. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for, therefore, you know, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
See, you only work for your salvation because God has started working in you already. Sin corrupts our power to choose the right choice and it corrupts our power to accomplish what we choose. But according to this verse and and many others like it, God is already at work in his people before they start working out their salvation. He chooses first, he saves first, and he is continually at work in his people, ceaselessly, tirelessly, working through them, working on their will, so that they choose things that are right and good, working on their power or their, their work, so that they have the energy and in, you know, power to achieve what it is they will. See, God's work is not relegated to history. As wonderful and profound, as, as crucial as the cross of Christ is, neither is God's work relegated to a point when you or I or someone else accepts Jesus as Lord and, and, and is converted, you know, receives the, the truth. Uh, God's work is not relegated to that either, although that's crucially important. But this verse shows us that God continually works through his people tirelessly. He works in you for your benefit, but he says to the church here, he works in you ultimately for his pleasure. He uses you and me and us as a church for his purposes. That's why we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, because God is at work in us. He is outworking his great plan of redemption in the world through us. But this isn't coercive power. This isn't against our will. He gives us a new will, new desires, a new focus, new power to live out God's purposes. So how do we work out our salvation? This is gospel. How do we get gospel transformation, knowing what he's just told us in these two verses here? Because as, as we go on, Paul paints this picture of what life looks like, what gospel transformation life looks like. <coughs> and we'll see this in a few minutes when we go through verses 14 through to 16. It's a beautiful picture. But what you notice in these verses is that Paul doesn't actually tell us what to do, actually do, in order to work out our salvation. But thankfully, it is buried elsewhere not that deep, but it's buried elsewhere in the letter. So how do we actually do gospel transformation, knowing that we are called to work it out ourselves, knowing that that only happens because God is working in us, but what do we actually do to get transformed? Well, there are two tools that he gives us in in the letter. The first tool, the first means that is to gospel transformation is the word. It is the word of life. It says in verse 16, Elsewhere, it's described in this letter as the faith of the gospel in chapter 127. It is the content of this great hymn that starts in chapter 2, verse 5, that we've been focusing on uh, for a few weeks now. It is the gospel, the word, that is one of the tools of gospel transformation, of course. And the second tool is prayer. We know that the Philippians were were a praying church. Verse uh, 19 of chapter 1, it's through your prayers that I will be delivered, says Paul. Later on, we see how prayerful they are. These are the two tools that Paul gives 
the church so that they may work out their salvation with the word of God and with prayer. Those two things. They are part of God's ordinary means for them to work out their salvation. And when you hear these two things, you might sound a bit disappointed. Maybe when it comes to taking hold of something and working out your salvation and impacting our city, maybe you're expecting something a bit more exciting than just the word and just prayer. Maybe it just sounds a bit too ordinary, a bit too boring. And in fact, you wouldn't be the only one because we live, don't we, in a a society, in a world that wants everything now. The on-demand generation, instant. We don't, we don't want to wait for stuff to happen, so we want everything now. And, and, and we can come sometimes to this kind of teaching in the Bible and expect and desire something over and above what God gives us. We want the extraordinary, not the ordinary. But yet, when we have a proper understanding of these two tools that he gives us, we will see the power that they possess. Let's take the word, for example, the word being one of the tools that enables us to work out our salvation. It's called the word of life in, in, in verse 16. It's the word about life because it's about Jesus. It's the word actually not only about life, but it's the word that gives life. Because when God speaks, new creation happens. It is the word of God that creates new life in people, bringing them from death to life. It is the word of God that grew the early church, that led to its explosive transformation within a generation across the ancient Near East. When you read the book of Acts, you realize that it was one of two things that the apostles did, preach the word. And by that, God grew the church. In in one city in Corinth, the leaders looked at the apostles and said, this word that you are preaching, it is turning the world upside down. When the uh, workload became too much for the apostles and they were being asked to uh, look after uh, the widows as well in the church and, and, and a lot of practical things, they said, choose seven men from among you who are upstanding, who are wise, who are full of the Holy Spirit, so, so they can look after the practical aspects of ministry within the church. Because we as apostles, they said, we need to be freed up for two things, two important things. We need to be freed up for ministry of the word and prayer. That's it. And yet when you look at the lives, the lives of the apostles in the book of Acts, you realize that they were far from boring, that they saw great change and transformation and impact but they saw that because they're working out their own salvation with the word of God and with prayer yes they did other things yes there was miracles but their mainstay was the word of God and prayer and us as a church if we are to have an impact on on the city out there then we must have gospel transformation in our own lives and together corporately as a church. We must have gospel transformation. That's why it's one of the keys to impacting our city, impacting our families, our places of work. That's why we as a church, as you may have picked up already, are committed to the Word of God, the Bible, understanding it, opening it, reading it. 
That's why we went through the series and the nine marks and we realized that the, at, least, at the very least the first three marks of a healthy church are all about the word, expository preaching, biblical theology, the gospel, a good understanding of the word. <coughs> when Paul wrote to another church called Colossae, he said this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's what we want to do here as a church. Let the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in us richly. We want to build our ministry on this, on hearing the word, on receiving the word, on speaking about the word with each other, on dwelling on it, feeding on it, chewing it over, applying it in solidarity as families, as a whole church, in, in, in various groups. Because it is one of the ways to gospel transformation. Because the word gives life. Because the word saves and it transforms. So that's why we're committed to the word just here. But also, we have a calling to prayer. And that's why, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be starting our new weekly prayer gatherings. You may have heard about this already. Starting Wednesday, the 24th of June. We're going to alternate between uh, prayer here in the Chinese Welfare Association and prayer in our houses, city prayer or house prayer. And and, and again, the the whole point of this is because the word of God and prayer are the two keys, or sorry, the um, the two tools the gospel transformation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, says Paul elsewhere in Colossians. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. This is something that God intends for us to do together as a church in the context of gospel community, in the context of of, of membership together in, in the local church. You can see here that the word of God and prayer go hand in hand and and form a a permanent fixture and mainstay of ministry here at Foundation Church. And there are lots of other things that we could and should and will be doing, lots of works that will be themselves variant, uh, depending on uh, the need. We'll be transient, we'll flex and respond to whatever issues practically are going on that we can minister to as a church. But the word of God and prayer are here to stay, irrespective of what is going on. And sometimes because of what is going on, word of God and prayer will be the mainstay here as part of our ministry. Work out your own salvation, says Paul, with fear and trembling. That is the first key to impacting our city, gospel transformation. So we need gospel transformation to impact our city. But secondly, he goes on to show we, we, we need gospel integration, the second key to impacting our city. And there's an order in this. Transformation happens before integration. This is the way it is in the, in the Christian life. There needs to be a transformation. There needs to be something that God does in us before we go and do something ourselves. God doesn't make that change because of work we do. It's the other way around. We work because God has done something to us. So gospel integration always follows gospel transformation. So this is about how it works out practically. Look down at verse 14. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. And that, I think, is a sermon right there in and of itself. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. All things means all things. And I find this verse itself particularly challenging it's so easy to grumble and moan and complain 
It's so easy for us, isn't it, to make much of a small offence that someone commits against us. It's so easy for us to get obsessed with the wrongs that people have done. We overestimate their impact. It's easy for us to voice our disagreements publicly, and before we know it, the whole hospital knows that I'm upset about something or other. Grumbling and questioning, don't do that in all things. But these are the seedbeds of deeper sins, and that's why Paul picks this out for the church. He's not just picking out a random couple of virtues that they're to work on until the next time he sees them. No, no, no. The likelihood is that there are issues that Paul is aware of, and we'll see that as we go on in the book, but issues that he is aware of where there is already grumbling and there's already questioning. Not, not the questioning, help me understand, but the kind of questioning that just doesn't really have any uh, benefit, that's just always seeking to niggle and, yeah, let me ask a question, when actually they don't care. Well, that's the kind of questioning that we're seeing here. But it's not random. This is happening within the church. Paul may or may not be referring, I think he is, to grumbling and questioning that happened generations earlier in the Bible. The Old Testament people of Israel were freed from Egypt and they were wandering through the desert and multiple times in the early parts of the Bible it tells us they were grumbling and complaining and questioning. They were grumbling because they were hungry. They were grumbling because they were thirsty. They were grumbling because there was lack of direction. They were grumbling because they wanted to go back to Egypt. They were rebelling against the leadership of Moses, moaning and grumbling all the time. And as a result, God said, you're rebelling against me and you're going to stay in the desert for 40 years until every last one of you is dead because I'm not taking you into the promised land. It's the next generation. So the chances are Paul was referring to this when he used those two words, grumbling and questioning. Don't be like that. Don't be like those people, your forefathers. Instead, he says, when you have gospel transformation, you will be different. People who are transformed by the good news of Christ and what he's done for them and the grace that God has shown in saving a sinner like me and like you, People like that should be different. People who have gospel transformation or are being transformed are content. They are settled. They are solid. They are people with perspective. People who have strength not to let themselves grumble and question and stoop down. Indeed, they are people of humility. And we saw that last week. This is what gospel transformation looks like (coughs) and the effect continues look down at verse 15 those who are transformed by the gospel won't be grumbling and questioning won't go down that line instead he says but you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish blameless innocent without blemish don't forget Paul prayed a prayer that they would be pure and without blemish pure and blameless in verse 9-11 of the first chapter He wants them to become people of character, people of resilience, people who are like Christ. That's what gospel transformation will look like in your life and mine. But Paul goes even further than that because he knows, and and the, the Bible is pretty clear, that Christian faith is not designed to be lived in private. My faith is personal, sometimes you hear people say. I don't want to talk about it. 
But that attitude is foreign to the Bible, foreign to biblical Christianity. Instead, Paul says, you are to live out your gospel transformation in public, in the world. Not not join a commune and sit behind a, a high fence and sit together with your fellow Christians and do nothing. No, you are to be a gospel transformed Christian in the world. He says in verse 15, you shine as lights. He says in verse 15 earlier on, you are children of God. The world is is dark. The world is crooked and twisted. But in comparison, live out your gospel transformation in the world. And when you integrate the gospel into the world, then you start making an impact. Then you start seeing a change. See that in verse uh, 15. A crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul expects them to live out their gospel transformation among the world. Live it publicly. That's what gospel integration is living your gospel transformation publicly. You are shining. You are children. So shine. So live like a child of God. Work out your salvation among them. The point of working out your salvation in public is not to shove it in people's faces, to behave like a Pharisee, like you're somehow better than other people. It's not to sneer and to antagonize our you twisted generation, you dark people. No, no, no. That is not the purpose of your gospel integration. Paul definitely takes a dim view of the world, but he doesn't consider it to be totally irreconcilable because according to him, there is hope. That's why he wants the church to live out their gospel transformation in the world because there's still hope. There is still life. It's the word of life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you, talking to his disciples who you know, with the early church, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is gospel integration. And you can see now why gospel transformation that leads to gospel integration impacts a city. Because you're out there working it out. Paul gives us some teaching on what it looks like practically. We've already covered a few things in the last few weeks. We've already seen that gospel transformation leads to unity in the face of the world. Remember that last week, wasn't it? That's a sign to the world of their destruction. Gospel transformation leads to a striving side by side for the gospel. It leads to suffering. It leads to works of service. These are just things that the Philippians did in order to do gospel integration. But there are no hard and fast rules about what that actually looks like. That's just the way it worked for them. That's the way they saw to apply it. (laughs) The point is this. There are innumerable ways for us as a church and you as individual Christians 
to apply, to live out your gospel integration. There is great freedom that God gives us. Great freedom to employ creativity, to express our gospel integration in the world. And it varies greatly depending on your vocation and your gifting, the way God has wired you up, your personality. The calling is the same, to live out our gospel transformation in the world. That's the same for everybody, no matter who you are. But the way it works out for you is different and will be different. For some of you, it might be that you are more wired up, your hearts are more inclined to seek justice. We've all got to do this, but seek justice in the city. Speak up for those who have no voice. For others of you, it might be works of mercy, helping the the poor. For others of you, it might be the integration of the gospel into the economy, in business, in your uh, workplace, in education, in healthcare. It might be the way you integrate the gospel into art, into Christian missions. All these different ways. Work out your salvation. Integrate into the world. You are shining, says Paul. You are children of God, so therefore, shine. I wonder as you're sitting here listening to me just now, I wonder what's going through your mind on the subject of gospel integration. I wonder what ways God is calling you to live out your gospel transformation in the world. Maybe it's an area of your life that you have neglected. Maybe you're only seeing it today for the first time. But how do you live out your salvation? How do you demonstrate your gospel transformation in the world? Because when you start thinking like this, there is actually no part of your life which is insignificant. There's no part of your life which is off limits. Everything can be used to bring glory to God. Even the ordinary things as you see them in life, (coughs) the regular things that you do day in, day out, those things can be used by you to integrate the gospel into the world. Work it out. Work out your salvation. So we've seen these two keys that we get given to impacting our city for Christ. Number one, we see gospel transformation. We work because God first works in us by using prayer and the ministry of the word. But the second key is gospel integration. Not living our Christian lives in the darkness. Or rather, Yes, we are to live it in the dark. Not living our Christian lives uh, in private, but to take it out into the public, to live out our gospel transformation in the world. But before we finish, I just want to touch on this subject uh, that Paul finishes on here. <coughs> he says, Hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, when it comes to impacting the city, whether it's Philippi or whether it's Belfast, when gospel transformation and gospel integration are happening, when you see it, when you see its effects, then... You will have joy. 
When you, when you see God working through you and through others around you in the local church and working through the church in general, then you will have joy. Paul knows that when he sees the city being impacted for Jesus Christ, he knows his job is done. He knows that he hasn't run or labor in vain when he starts seeing them living at shining as stars in the darkness. That's when he knows his work has not been pointless. He even sees his death as a garnishing or a completion of the offering of the work of the Philippian church. He, he describes his death as a, potentially anyway, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith in verse 17. A drink offering, according to the Old Testament, was a, was a sort of smaller offering added to a larger offering, somehow completing it before it was offered up to God, poured out upon it. That's how Paul views his life, as the garnishing, the completion of what the Philippian church have been, their works, their gospel transformation, the impact on their city. And in that, he says, I am glad. In that, I have joy. I rejoice. Rejoice with me, he says. See what is happening. So when we see gospel transformation, God working in us through the tools of the word and prayer, when we see gospel integration, the tamping down of the gospel into all areas of our lives and culture, then we shall rejoice. Then we shall see impact in our cities, in our lives, in our families, in our church, for the name of Jesus, then we will know that we have not run in vain because the name and the renown of the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up in Belfast. And that is our calling. That's what we desire here at Foundation Church. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We pray that we would be people who gaze upon and are transformed by the gospel. We pray that we would become people who are more thirsty and more hungry for more of Christ. Would you work in our hearts and minds? Would you shape us? Would you empower us and show us the way forward? May this city be impacted for Jesus Christ because of ministry of the word and prayer in this church and many like it across this city who are faithful to the name of Jesus. We pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.